This is On Point, a podcast about bringing humanity to leadership communications. I'm your host, Andrea Lekashoff, President of Broadreach Communications. vaccination rates climb and COVID-19 case counts fall, many employers are starting to consider whether and how to bring people back to work. But it's not that simple. We're living and working in a new world. Employees today have higher expectations of their employers. Some have made changes to their lives over the course of the pandemic, and many won't be willing to give up their new, more flexible lifestyles. Others will have lasting concerns about health and safety and will continue to be wary of physical offices or business travel. Some may refuse to get vaccinated. Given this new complex reality, employers are faced with tougher decisions than ever before. In this episode of On Point, my colleague David Scott and I discuss five difficult but critical questions that employers have to consider now and start communicating about immediately. As a leader, now is the time to start talking to your people about how your company plans to handle the future. What's more, at Broadreach, we encourage employers to use this opportunity to usher in a new era of employer-employee relationships, one based on flexibility, accommodation, and trust. Again and again, we have seen businesses transformed when their leaders choose to clearly communicate that they value output over hours, results over FaceTime. The more you can embrace this new way of working and the sooner you can start communicating about it to your people, the more likely you are to build a thriving business into the post-pandemic future. David, welcome to On Point. Hi, Andrea. It's great to be here. Um, So as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in changes to the business world that previously would have seemed ludicrous, if not impossible. And while before the pandemic hit, some companies and and many leaders had been experimenting with flexible work and part-time work from home schedules, the majority hadn't embraced this concept. And many others couldn't even conceive of their business functioning without a daily uh, face-to-face interaction between employees, customers, suppliers, not to mention regular travel. And the fact that entire sectors of the business world could pivot instantaneously to zero in-person contact and no travel whatsoever and still keep functioning is nothing short of astounding. So David, can you elaborate on this mindset shift you've seen among business leaders since the start of the pandemic? Yes, I'm happy to. And I think it's such a timely discussion that we're going through right now. In fact, just today, the Business Development Bank of Canada released a survey and found that 74% of businesses are going to continue to let their employees work from home post-pandemic. And that just underscores what you're saying around just astounding the change that we've had, the change we've had in the past 18 months. But it's going to be profound change that will continue and reverberate uh, for years, if not decades to come. And David, we've talked about this extensively together and with clients. There are now a new uh, set of concerns, and they're significant concerns for both leaders and employees based on conflicting sets of expectations. And, and you know, I have seen many different surveys where, you know, the majority of employees might want to stay home, but the majority of employers might want to have them back at the office. 
Can you elaborate on this new set of concerns that we're seeing emerging? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're finding, and as as you uh, noted, both through surveys as well as anecdote, is there's a tension between employers and employees. Yeah. Uh, I think most infamously, Jamie Dimon, who's the yes. uh, CEO of a major bank in the United States, uh, he actually was at a Wall Street Journal conference and saying that uh, working from home doesn't work for him. Uh, yes. He's saying that it doesn't work for those who want to hustle. So he's sending a very strong and clear message that he devalues working from home. He devalues those who choose to work from home. He devalues those who have to work from home uh, because it's cha- it's not fitting his culture and his perception of what the culture of his organization mm-hmm. should be. And that's going to be uh, exacerbated across thousands of organizations as this tension plays out. And, you know, while I I do not agree with his perspective and his desire to have everyone back, what I do admire about that is that he is sending a clear and strong message to his employees that really describes his expectations. And so many employers have not done that yet. I know people, uh, I know someone who wants to buy a house um, that is about an hour outside of Toronto, but they're waiting to hear from their employer in terms of, can they work from home? So what do you what do you recommend uh, that leaders start to think about now so that uh, they can really communicate their expectations? I think it's an excellent point about clarity. It's a, an excellent point about being uh, purposeful in your communications to employees, which we always advocate. Casting our minds back to a year ago, a lot of companies were patting themselves on the back for how clear their communications were around working from home, shutting down, Mm -hmm. moving to this online environment. And as you and I have discussed, that was the easy part because there wasn't actually a decision taken by companies. The decision was made for them by governments and public health agencies. They had to comply. They were Mm -hmm. forced into this situation. We now have the dynamic where individual companies are going to have to make individual choices for their own workforce. And that's extraordinarily challenging because they're going to have to fit those expectations, those expectations of what do I want out of my workforce? When do I Mm -hmm. want people to be in? How far away can people uh, reasonably be from the workplace when there's an emergency and someone's living an hour or two hours away? And I think that's changing the dynamic. And that's going to be where the real communications have to come from. And the real communications have to focus on uh, where do I want my employees to be? Where do I expect them to work from? How often do they need to be in the office? Because what's really changed, and the pandemic has exposed this, is that the office was a social norm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually a purposeful business decision. It's like the necktie. It's a social norm that we defaulted to because it was an expectation that you went to a desk and sat at a desk in front of a screen. We hear the words of collaboration tossed around. We hear the words of in-person tossed around. But we know that there was an incredible lift in productivity and, frankly, in employee satisfaction with their work by being able to work from home and having more control. And that's what the danger is of of being lost if we simply go the Jamie Dimon route and say, nope, let's just get back to where we were before. David, given what we've discussed, why do you think leaders will instruct their workforces to come back to the office? I'd say it comes down to two different, but two very important aspects of the work 
uh, environment. The first is trust, and the second is competence. Frankly, people like Jamie Dimon are communicating that they don't trust employees, that they don't trust them to be productive at the workplace, that somehow it bothers them if they're helping their child over the lunch hour with a school project, or they're throwing on an extra load of laundry before a Zoom call starts. But that ability to adapt, that ability to expand and contract the workday to fit the project rather than to fit the time is mm -hmm. really that overwhelming aspect of where it comes to competence. And that's the second aspect where managers have to lift their game of competence to really understand that I'm managing a person's productivity rather than their time. Managing time is easy. It's simply, were you at your desk and were you there for eight hours and then did you leave? That's not actually managing them around the product and the productivity because it's the product that matters. The, the product, especially uh, in professional services, especially in uh, the knowledge sector, what is the person producing that is of value ultimately to the client and to the organization? How can we best support them to create that product that is of value? Not necessarily that they are sitting on the assembly line for eight hours putting uh, hubcaps on the wheel. That's an old school model. That's an old industrial model. And that's what's being smashed and has been smashed by the pandemic. And it's fascinating that old industrial model is really the essence of why we go to work from nine to five. That eight hour day really hasn't been questioned in, in decades. And, and I think that the pandemic has really opened up uh, the conversation and an opportunity to question how we work and where we work and when we work and uh, I certainly have seen that that has worked beautifully, uh, certainly for our agency since the pandemic began. I've spoken with other leaders and it's working uh, quite well. It's, it's just a different model um, for, for leaders to, to get used to. And that was really the impetus for you and I to come together and write this, this new uh, report uh, called Making It Official, Five Critical Employer Decisions for the Post-Pandemic World. Um, it can be downloaded at brpr.ca, and we look at five key questions that many employers are working through right now as they think about the best ways to communicate with their teams in a post-COVID world and the really difficult, uh, I would say very difficult decisions they need to make for their employees to determine whether they will start coming back to the office, uh, perhaps in the fall, perhaps early next year. Um, so let's start with one of the toughest questions uh, and decisions leaders will need to make. David, what are your thoughts on whether employers will require their employees to be vaccinated? It's a critical question, and it's frankly the most important question that uh, employers are going to have to face. We're already seeing um, different decisions coming out of the United States around court cases where healthcare workers are being required to be vaccinated to continue employment. Now, that's uh, obviously makes sense around a healthcare environment, especially when you're dealing with people who are frail, uh, prone to infection, have compromised immunity. But you start to move that forward into other work environments where you have people interacting in meeting rooms, uh, in collaborative settings, and the trust level of someone wondering whether mm -hmm. their health is being compromised yes. by being in the office yes. is something that employers are going to have to deal with. And as we say very clearly in the report, if you don't communicate 
that you have a vaccination policy. Frankly, you've already communicated that you have a vaccination policy by the absence of information, yes. the absence of decision. So similar to your comment about Jamie Dimon, whichever way you fall on this issue, be clear and be purposeful about what you're expecting of employees. And I don't think there's any simple yes or no answer to to that. And when we spoke with Dan Black, who's an employment lawyer at Caravel Law and vice president of legal with Closing the Gap Healthcare, he agreed that there's no simple yes or no answer to any of these questions. He also indicated that under health and safety law, employers have a legal duty to take every precaution reasonable to protect their employees. And he also described that it's difficult to reconcile not requiring employees to be vaccinated with that duty. He also talked about some employees might be contraindicated for the vaccine, and the employer has a legal responsibility to accommodate those individuals. And privacy law prohibits them from disclosing reasons for that accommodation. So I can see this becoming very messy for people who um, would want to know that their colleagues have been vaccinated. You know, other employees might not want their colleagues to know that they haven't been vaccinated. It seems as though it's going to become very messy. Yeah, I think that's exactly the issue. It is going to be very messy. But like any other business uh, issue that the employer isn't going to necessarily be able to step back from that and just simply say, no, I can't discuss this. No, we can't engage on this issue. There's a lot of fear right now. There's a lot of fear mm -hmm. and misunderstanding as to what vaccination provides, what it doesn't protect from, uh, what the need is within the environment for people to feel that they are properly vaccinated, that they feel supported, that they actually have this ability to come to a workplace and not feel anxious about it. And that's where employers really need to open up and disclose what they can and be very clear about what they can't, but open up and have the conversation with employees, understand their fear, mitigate it as much as they can, because people are going to be very concerned coming back into the work environment. It's going to be very dislocating after being away for almost 18 months. Mm -hmm. So the ability for employers to actually feel open to concerns to answer what they can, to be very proactive in terms of communication as to what is going on and what isn't going on is going to go a long way to mitigate and empathize with what employees are going through right now. Agreed. Agreed. Let's focus on the second decision that employers uh, need to focus on now, and that is, are you going to set the tone? And what this really means is, um, should an employer choose a hybrid model uh, to make that model as effective uh, as possible? Senior people in the organization need to set the tone through their actions, um, because we all know that effective communication is just as much about action as it is about words. So how should leaders be setting the tone for their companies? I think it really has to be that what is a hybrid model in our organization means that it's a hybrid model for everyone. We've already seen a statement from Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook where he's indicated that for six months of the next year, he will be working from home. So he's clearly setting out that expectation that whether it's one week on or one week off or a multitude of different days, he expects that by the end of 2022, he will have spent six months of the work year from home. So he's clearly setting out an expectation that 50% is the model for Facebook. 
and you can see where different organizations that people will start to emulate what the what the what the boss provides what the leadership provides around where their expectations are so if you are working for someone like Jamie Dimon, he devalues working from home. He's saying that you lack hustle. Therefore, you are not someone who's going to be promoted or given a raise or given a great opportunity because of your choice to work from home. So when you start to see uh, employers default to executives come in and people who aren't really that serious about their job stay home, you're going to have a big dislocation. So people will be motivated by fear, fear of mm. uh, losing employment opportunities, fear of dismissal, uh, fear of uh, not being promoted. And they're going to default away from work from home back to the pre-pandemic five days a week sitting at the desk. Or they might leave their company altogether. I, I know a few people who... Um, their leadership has communicated what their expectations um, are for the fall, and they are either searching for other employment or have found other employment uh, in companies that have communicated that they are absolutely fine with a work-from-home model. So I would expect to see much transition sort of in that area. That's an excellent point, and I think that's where employers are often shocked that people have choices, and we've seen that many times where good people are lost because yes. of bad management decisions or bad management approaches, and I think that you've underscored where yeah, employers are going to be exposed because they simply will not adapt, they simply will not change, and they're going to be punished for that by losing out on what is going to be a very dynamic and very competitive job market. Yeah. Let's uh, let's move to decision number three. Are you going to treat men and women the same? And of course, people are, are probably thinking, uh, of course, we will. But what we've seen emerge since the start of the pandemic is a whole wave of women dropping out of the workforce because they've had to serve as their family's primary caregiver, whether that's for their children or perhaps for an aging parent. And so what are your thoughts on whether leaders will treat men and women the same? I think you're absolutely right that companies will come out of the gate and say, of course, we're going to treat men and women the same. We're an equal opportunity employer. The reality is exactly what you've expressed, where different pressures will hit different parts of the workforce in different ways. And that ability to accommodate, that ability to expand the thought about how do people actually be productive and the ability for people to be productive either at home or in a hybrid model or at the workplace is really going to set employers apart and frankly give greater satisfaction uh, to employees, uh, greater retention uh, capabilities, greater recruitment capabilities, mm -hmm. because as we all know, companies have reputations and the reputation will precede you as to whether you are a place of business that actually uh, encourages people, uh, adapts to different circumstances, really empathizes with what they're going through. Because what we have seen in the pandemic is that the personal and the private um, and the public have all melted together where yes. we have what is my professional role and my personal role have really fallen apart and have really been blurred. And I think that that ability for employers to actually understand the whole person and all of the different pressures that they uh, are undergoing is really going to be important for the success of the company and frankly, the engagement of the employees. 
I think that's beautiful. And it really dovetails with um, this podcast, which is all about bringing humanity to leadership communications. And in many cases, we've seen so much of that occur. And I think there's just a great opportunity for leaders to continue that work once the pandemic is quote unquote over, if it ever will end. Um, but certainly um, <clears throat> I am I'm really thrilled with that empathy that has infused so many leaders' approaches to uh, to sort of working. Um, okay, so let's shift to number four. Our, our fourth decision is, what will be your framework for employee flexibility? And which ones do you think will be most supportive and or effective for employees? I would say that as soon as we start with flexibility, it sounds great and it sounds mm-hmm that it's something that employees will embrace, but flexibility actually needs structure. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is that employers have to be very clear as to uh, when they expect people in the office and when it's okay to work from home or work in that that hybrid model. A simple free-for-all where people come into a workplace which may still be socially distanced or which may have a reduced uh, footprint because people um, are not going to be coming into the office all the time. You can imagine where there's confusion. You can imagine a situation where people on a Wednesday morning, you know, 15 people come in and there are only 10 workspaces and suddenly we have the mm-hmm. hunger games where people are yes. searching for a desk and searching mm-hmm. for a place to plug in and it's simply chaotic. So companies need to actually be purposeful. They need to set up structures. They need to set up those expectations so that people can actually understand when and how they can come in comfortably, safely, uh, in a productive way to the office. And I think that's where the flexibility is going to be very key to make sure that employers and employees are keeping open those lines of communications. The other thing that I found really interesting in speaking with Dan Black was the fact that so many people moved out of large cities to be either in the country where they had more um, of a house footprint or more um, space outside or moving back home to be with their families. And he questioned the fact whether that would be seen as an enforceable change to the employee's original contract or really just a temporary adjustment. And so I wonder how many people really just made the move without understanding what that would do to their long-term employment at a company, or whether they really just reacted to the pandemic that was at hand? I think it's an excellent question. And I think it's something that each person is going to have to suddenly understand that they may have violated the obligations they have under their contract with their uh, employer. They're going to have to open up and have those conversations because in the work that we do, you know, quite often mm-hmm. around crisis management, issue management, we need to respond and be on site with a client immediately. Uh, not everyone has that dynamic. Not everyone has that need to be in the office at a moment's mm-hmm. notice, but it does uh, come up. Uh, there are changing circumstances where we need to go to the client. We need to get together for an important pitch meeting. We need to get together to go over these sales projections. And suddenly someone's saying, well, I'm two hours away. I can't be there today. I think that's going to uh, place an onus on the employer, again, to set clear expectations, but also on the employee to understand that, can you actually do your job when you're Mm -hmm. two hours away from the office? Uh, Is that 
something that's fair on the employer? And is my lifestyle choice something that's going to force me to look for something different uh, and, a, and a different set of uh, uh, work dynamics, a different job where I can actually have that balance that I'm looking for? It'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Yes. Final decision that leaders need to make now, and that is how will you approach business travel? Uh, that um, is a very complicated one. People will be mandated to get on airplanes, travel perhaps to places in the United States where people are not vaccinated to the same levels as they might be you know, where they live. What are your thoughts on how to approach business travel? I think it's going to be extraordinarily challenging for the reasons that you laid out. Um, first, it's going to be even rethinking, just like we're thinking about working from home as a new dynamic. Uh, the business trip is going to be something that we'll start to question again. Do I need to actually engage with my prospect or my client or my network in person, or can this be facilitated remotely? I think that's going to be a big reset for a lot of companies. But absolutely, just like going into the work environment needs to be rethought of as a health and safety issue, business travel as well. What extra exposure are we uh, forcing our employees to undergo through travel, uh, through connection with clients, uh, through connections with other people who may not have the same level of vaccination as they expect? So again, it comes back to a really clear set of expectations between the employer and the employee about what is necessary, what is expected, what rights the employee has, so that there's no misunderstanding, so that we don't get into an ugly situation of people feeling uh, disrespected or afraid to actually speak up and voice and advocate for themselves for their own health. Or for their family's health, because Absolutely. we're, we're yes. not just talking about employees here. They may have someone at home who is immunocompromised. And if they are the sole breadwinner, they might feel uh, forced and that they don't really have a choice and must travel. So I, I can see how uh, this will become um, very stressful for some. And, you know, I also think about the emergence of a potential vaccine passport and what that might do for employees who are refusing to get vaccinated um, and what that will do to their employment contract. If they can't fulfill their employment responsibilities, will they be terminated? So this is just it's it's it seems so complex right now. And perhaps in the next few months or in the coming year, it will all sort itself out. But it really seems as though there are many, many decisions that have multi-layered impacts that, that leaders will need to make. And I would say that that also speaks to all of the communications opportunities that companies are going to have to go through. And as we always say, even if you don't have the answer, even if you're still looking for the uh, facts and the research behind giving a clear answer to uh, employees, at least promote that you're aware of the issue. At least tell them that, you know, this is a big issue, yeah. such as vaccination. This is a big issue, such as how we're going to establish the work from home protocol. We don't have all the answers yet, but we are working on it. And we'd actually like to hear from you. That's a great way to start the conversation and continue the conversation. And you're absolutely right. This is going to be ongoing and this is going to be bumpy and messy and all the adjectives that you so appropriately used because this is going to take a lot of effort and it's going to take very purposeful effort by mm -hmm. employers 
and employees to engage and communicate so that there's a really good outcome from this. It's not a one-off. It's not a simple email. It's not an FAQ. It mm-hmm. really is that collaboration um, that uh, employers and employees need to do to come together. And it's leading with heart, which is a term that isn't often used in business or certainly wasn't before the pandemic. And understanding that every every individual will have a different set of circumstances. And David, you described this really beautifully before, where um, so many accommodations will need to happen. They'll need to have different approaches for different individuals, which certainly has existed in the past, but I don't believe to the level uh, to which it will Um, exist moving forward. In the report, we also lay out a new approach that may seem radical to some, but that could actually work in this hybrid virtual world. Um, Do you want to tell us about uh, our focus on output, not hours as an approach? And, you know, we've talked about accommodation, flexibility, and trust, and how all of those elements must be woven into this approach. I'm happy to, and, and it speaks to what we were discussing earlier around the industrial model. Uh, what we see is that going to the office is a social norm. It's a social norm like putting on a suit or putting on a tie. There's not necessarily a reason or a productivity reason for it. It's simply what is expected. It used to be that you had to go to the factory because that's where the machines were. Well, in a lot of businesses, especially professional services and consulting, the machinery is in the home. It's the computer and the connection and the actual skills and experience of the person uh, on the Zoom call. So that ability to have people in flexible and different environments is frankly liberating, uh, is something that's a tremendous advantage that we know is actually something where people feel more empowered because they have more control. And that ability to have control where they're not fighting through a commute, they're not trying to trade off between a child's um, healthcare appointment and taking a sick day in their own workplace or a vacation day to accommodate that is something where employers, again, can lead with empathy, can really understand that they have so much flexibility that they can build into an employee's output that when we focus on how the employee uh, works is is actually defeatist. It's really on what they're working on. The product that they're producing, when they produce it, is really up to them. We just set clear guidelines, we set clear expectations, and we let them flourish. That's really when people feel empowered, as opposed to, you must work on this between the hours of nine and the hours of five, and I'm going to prescribe where you work on it and on what format you work on it. That's really very crushing. To, I, I think, employees' spirits. I agree. And we feature a really great case study, uh, I think, in, in this report, based on the work that Bruce Bowser, the chairman of AMG Campbell and co-author of The Focus Effect, uh, did um, a few years ago. And he described it two episodes ago on the podcast, where he ran an experiment with his administrative team. And based on the research he had been doing for his book, he realized that in an eight-hour day, people were actually working super productively for four or five hours. So the experiment he did was he told his administrative team, um, number one, you can work from home. Number two, all I want you to work is five hours. But when you're at work for those five hours, I want you to be super focused, super productive, turn off any distractions, 
and really focus. And what happened was, and we've described this already at the start of the, the podcast, productivity skyrocketed. Employers were happier than ever. They were healthier than ever. Sick days went down. He no longer needed office space to house this, this team of employees. And he proved that there was no value involved in sitting at a desk at an office site for eight hours. And I, I thought that that was a really beautiful example um, for us to talk about because it really is possible. And this happened even before the pandemic. Um, so now that we're even more connected with, uh, with Zoom and Microsoft Teams, it really makes a work environment very seamless. And um, it, it's definitely worth experimenting with. I, I think it's very enlightening that what Bruce did, I, I think it's something that all I employers should emulate because just as you, as you've added all those things up, how do you go through a situation where you are uh, empowering your employees? Uh, you're giving them an opportunity to increase their productivity. They're raising their, their work to increase that productivity. Uh, sick days have gone down. Absenteeism uh, has gone down and costs have gone down. Yes. That in itself is a no-brainer for all employers. But we know, and this is what's so frustrating, we know that people are simply going to stop short when you first said, well, they're only working for five hours. And that's where people are going to say, well, no, 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 no. I'm paying you for eight hours. No, you're not. You're paying for the output. You're paying for the, for the work that is being done that contributes to the success of the organization. Because we know, we know somebody goes out for a coffee, somebody goes out for lunch, somebody has a quick conversation about a sports event or a child's graduation at a coworker's desk. All of that adds up to that lost time um, that we were referring to. Whereas Bruce has actually said, you know what, I'm going to strip away all that garbage. I'm going to strip yeah. away all those things that people need. And if you just give me that time, that really, really matters to me, people will respond. And, and if you have employees that aren't responding, you've got the wrong employees. The employees that take advantage of the situation may need to be dealt with separately, but we know the majority of people will see this as a, a gift, will cherish it as a gift, and they will respond to what is frankly, an enlightened workplace that will give them so much upside beyond the paycheck. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, David, final question. Um, let's just sum everything up. And what are a few uh, key steps that leaders can take now to start making it official? I'd say it really comes down to three steps. The first is let's actually set out a plan about how we're going to come back into the workplace that actually engages employees, that looks at the productivity benefits that we can create, that gives employee empowerment as our first guiding principle. That's step one. Step two is to actually start having the conversations within HR, uh, within your legal teams, to talk about the terms and conditions of employment, to really clearly set out the expectations that we need to have for employees to be successful in their jobs so that we're not caught out by a misunderstanding of what's been going on. And then the third is really a strong communications program that is cadenced around all the changes that you've set out that are going to happen over the next year or two years. All of the different updates are going to happen, all of the different uh, steps that are going to go through as we start to emerge from the pandemic. So really laying out um, that plan and that purposeful approach to communications 
where we don't have all the answers today, but we will. And we're going to work with you and we're going to work together to answer those questions that make the best sense for our business. That's going to set companies apart. Uh, that's going to allow companies to really flourish uh, with a tremendous opportunity uh, to be thoughtful and humane and uh, companies with purpose. David, as always, thank you for a great conversation. Uh, thank you for your collaboration on this white paper, and I look forward to having you on next time. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Andrea. This podcast was produced by Broadreach Communications. I'm Andrea Lekashoff, and thanks for listening. For show notes and additional resources, visit brpr.ca forward slash podcast. Thank you.